You wouldn't think that a report signed by over 100 colleges and universities, some with acceptance rates under 10%, proposing changes to the college admissions process meant to reduce student stress and encourage ethical engagement of one's community, would be controversial. But it is. A report released in January of 2016 called In Full Turning the Tide, Inspiring Concern for Others and the Common Good Through College Admissions, got lots of heads nodding, but it also ruffled some feathers and encouraged more than a little eye rolling. Well, what's the big deal? Let's find out more about this report with two of its authors, Rick Weisbord and Lloyd Thacker. Welcome to The Crush. I'm Davin Sweeney, a college admissions counselor who talks to people hard at work to create the experience that millions of high school students go through every year just to get to another experience called college. And then I talk to some of those people too. There's some more stuff, including links to things discussed during these episodes at crushpodcast.com. And uh, I'm getting better at posting stuff on Twitter at crushpod. In fact, I was quite proud of a tweet I posted a week or so ago related to this story. Maybe you've heard about it featuring the demise of the would-be Silicon Valley unicorn healthcare company called Theranos. This company was supposed to be able to revolutionize the healthcare world and of course, by extension, the world, because that's what all of these companies do, uh, by offering over a hundred medical tests from just a finger pricks worth of blood. So no more tubes and tubes and tubes of blood. Uh, it was a big deal. Well, the company is in a free fall after the U.S. government has banned their uh, president and CEO named Elizabeth Holmes from running any medical labs for two years because the science appears to be full of holes and complete BS, apparently. So I found Miss Holmes to be a uh, totally intriguing character because she's this you know, mysterious genius uh, addicted to her job. She, she, speaking of jobs, she dresses like Steve Jobs, which is not that weird. Uh, and uh, apropos of this podcast, she dropped out of Stanford to start this company at age 19. And dropping out of, of the world's most elite places is, uh, is super hot. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg did it. Bill Gates did it. And you can do it too. In fact, Peter Thiel... Uh, PayPal co-founder, Trump guy, big Trump guy, Republican convention speaker, uh, recently also uh, backed uh, a suit by uh, Hulk Hogan to uh, to completely nuke Gawker Media into oblivion. And uh, I thank him at least for the capability for me to be able to make a Hulk Hogan reference on this podcast. So anyways, Peter Thiel, he's a huge fan of this idea of dropping out of college. He'll pay you $100,000 to not go to college if you have you know a good enough reason to believe that you don't need it mainly like that you'll make a lot of money so I went digging to learn more about uh, Miss Holmes because I found her to be a fascinating character and I came across a YouTube video where she's presenting to Stanford business students and she said this so the question was what was the process of dropping out of Stanford when I was 19 like and uh, and what kind of advice did I get um, Interestingly, it was a fairly binary decision. Um, I got to a point where I, I actually originally did not intend to drop out of Stanford, but I wasn't going to any classes and I was spending all of my time talking to VCs. And so then logistically, it just seemed like a waste of money because I was you know, taking 20 units and I wasn't showing up. So, um, so, so originally the concept was, well, uh, take a, a leave of absence 
And then uh, it became really clear that, you know, I, I was at a point where another few classes in chemical engineering was not necessary for what I wanted to do. And so, um, so then I just made a decision that I was going to figure out how to make it work. So, yeah, I thought to myself, well, that's sort of silly now, looking backwards. If your company is supposed to be rooted in the notion of building uh, technology that will revolutionize civilization's ability to perform chemical tests, are you sure you don't need any more education in chemical engineering? You know, she, she was laughing about it. I thought that was pretty weird. Uh, I wonder what she might have learned if she had stuck around, right? Education's important. Hmm. I don't know. I guess that's weird. You know, and it, the, you know, and then you listen to everybody laugh and laugh uh, as if it's just it's such an obvious decision to run diving headfirst into the uh, Scrooge McDuck vault of gold coins called uh, VCs or venture capitalists. You know, instead of sticking around and getting your education. So let this be a lesson to you. You know, this education might have might have actually potentially made the whole thing actually sustainable. Maybe I don't know. Or it's, it's just what she was trying to do is completely impossible. I don't know. Chemical engineering uh, professors, uh, you know, feel free to weigh in. Um, anyways, that's all long way of saying that I, I made a tweet about it. And I sat back. I crossed my arms proudly at having clearly mastered this medium. So anyways, follow me at CrushPod for more of this uh, this gold, this Twitter gold. Anyways, back to the matter at hand. The episode right here is a solid part two in the continuum of conversation that I had with Denise Pope about the negative effects that may result from the selective college admissions process. And also stay tuned for the episode after this one in which I interviewed Julie Lithcott-Hames, author of How to Raise an Adult. And between these three entities, Denise, Rick and Lloyd, and Julie, the Turning the Tide report which will be linked at crushpodcast.com, I believe is the most clear in its charge specifically to college admissions offices themselves in an effort to get them to change on their, uh, or I'll say our, end. It's the product of years of work in one way or another by longtime college admissions reform advocate Lloyd Thacker, based in Portland, Oregon, and author of a staple in the College Counseling Resource Library. It's a book called College Unranked, Ending the College Admissions Frenzy, and he's the man in charge of the Education Conservancy an organization dedicated to college admissions reform. And this is also the work of Rick Weisbord, Harvard Graduate School of Education, professor and co-director of the Making Caring Common Project there, a center dedicated to promoting ethical engagement and commitment to the greater good in our communities. There are a few reasons this report's a big deal. Number one, it's the truth is it's got the name Harvard attached to it. And I don't think there would be as much of a deal made of this if it had come from, let's say, a less similarly regarded place. And number two, it reads a little like a manifesto, a declaration. And the reason those things tend to matter is the part at the very end, and, and or I guess sometimes at the beginning, where you learn who in fact is lending their name to this. In this case, you've got over 100 admissions offices who've endorsed this report. And I think it represents sort of the moral compass for selective admissions, that we all really genuinely believe uh, the core mission of this thing. The trick is, how do we do it? Will we do it? What does that endorsement mean exactly? Noteworthy also are the absences on the list. So I talked to Lloyd and Rick on the phone a while back about a bunch of stuff, including uh, to learn more about who these endorsers are and what their role is in seeing that these recommendations actually become practice. Yeah, I'm, I'm Rick Weisbord. I'm 
I teach at the Ed School and the Kennedy School at Harvard, and I direct the Human Development Psychology program at the Ed School, and I co-direct the Making Care in Common project. And the college admissions work is one big part of our of Making Care in Common. And the overall goal of Making Care in Common is to elevate ethical engagement in our culture. Yeah, Floyd Packer, I'm the founder and uh, uh, executive director of the Education Conservancy, an organization committed to reforming college admissions so that it better serves the educational needs of, of kids, students. Uh, and um, I'm now uh, uh, working with, with uh, Rick on uh, turning this bed. Um, it's it's a report that has garnered tons of, of press, as, as you're aware, obviously, because you've gotten tons of, uh, of, of uh, requests to comment on the, the report in a variety of contexts, such as the one that I presented to you guys and why we're here talking now. And so uh, the goal is, as I understand it, you know, in, in essence, to seek reform in, in college admissions through encouraging behaviors that emphasize like good, you know, good civic ethical, moral development, uh, and to dial down the stress levels that I mentioned earlier, the people report as being at, uh, you know, epic levels. Does that sort of get at it? Yeah, I think those, those two and, uh, are, are central. And the third one is loving the playing field. It's increasing equity and access for economically disadvantaged kids. Okay. So, the three, uh, just for the good of the order here, the three core areas, you know, for which you make recommendations are to promote more meaningful contributions to others, community service and engagement with the public good, assessing students' ethical engagement and contributions to others in ways that reflect varying types of family and community contributions across race, culture, and class, and then redefining achievement in ways that both level the playing field, as you just mentioned, for economically diverse students and reduce excessive achievement pressure. So broadly, how did this report come about? Uh, I think everybody realizes that this is the this report is a product of, of our culture as it exists now. But but what are the elements of this you know day and age that made this critical to have happen right now? Uh, and and why why you two and what are what are your respective roles in bringing this uh, to light? What might be helpful in answering this is, you know, we each come at this from different kind of perspectives. I mean, different areas of of the problem. I mean, I can tell the the history of this project and yeah. making care in common, but I think Lloyd can really position this in the history of a, you know, a number of efforts to try and reshape the college admissions process. Perfect. Um, uh, Making Care in Common's main goal is we are concerned about the degree to which achievement and happiness have been elevated as the primary goals of child raising and concern for others in the common good have been demoted or, or sidelined. And we began to have conversations about how do you, and our research shows that. I mean, it shows that um, kids perceive that adults are far more concerned about their achievements than about whether or not they're caring people who are invested in the common good. Um, we began to have these conversations about how do, you, how do you change that? And it became clear to us that, you know, part of the problem here is the 
the messages that adults are sending to kids about what they value and the degree to which they are prioritizing certain values like achievement and that the college admissions process is one of these very powerful opportunities to send signals to young people about what adults value and what the culture values. And so this sparked my beginning conversations with Bill Fitzsimmons, who's the Dean of Admissions at Harvard, and we convened a meeting that included Lloyd and a bunch of other admissions deans and some high school counselors and some representatives of national organizations to think about this problem. How could the college admissions um, process um, do a better job of conveying important values? Um, and the ideas in this report sort of roughly emerged from that meeting. And, and Lloyd and I took on the, you know, began working collaboratively um, to get support for for these ideas and, right. um, and are going to be working together going forward. Um, so, so briefly, that's where we got to where we got to go. Let me just say, say one other thing quickly. You know, Megan Karen Common has been highly focused on on ethical engagement, but also, as you said, concerned about the degree of depression, delinquency, you know, spikes in suicide, even in certain communities, anxiety disorders yeah. um, that are a result of um, achievement pressure. And, you know, you can't get into the world of college admissions without being struck with um, the inequities. And once we began having this conversation, I think all of us felt very committed to creating a sane and healthier admissions process for everybody. So um, that includes, you know, not just reducing stress for affluent kids, but really increasing opportunity for a far greater number of kids who are economically disadvantaged. I mean, I've been interested in reforming college admissions so that uh, in ways that it sends signals to kids that um, uh, more more appropriately are are aligned with the values that um, are traditionally associated with higher education, uh, you know, curiosity, imagination, risk taking, passion for learning, uh, as well as caring for 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 community. And uh, I've uh, been able to um, bring together uh, admission deans and presidents and counselors, college presidents and counselors, to, to recognize that we're, we're not really happy with, with, with what we're doing. In other words, what we believe in is becoming further and further disconnected with, with the practices, admissions practices. And college admissions wasn't designed to, to be a formative process, but it, it has become a formative process under the influence of uh, the growth of commercial entities led by U.S. News and, and World Report. But uh, the, the, the impact on students is such that uh, um, it's, it's not a system that educators would design. And so I've been working in this area and drawing attention to this and uh, been involved in several different reform efforts. And, and when Rick got in touch with me and said, you know, I'm interested in this in terms of the, the impact that it's, it's having on students taking responsibility for things other than their own, their achievements, you know, caring for others and taking responsibility for community, et cetera. And that was kind of a, um, a piece of my range of, of interests in this. And uh, it was a, exciting opportunity for me uh, because of Rick's background in research, 
but also uh, his his position at making care in common, we were able to really bring people together to say, yeah, we're not doing a very good job. We ought to be doing a better job. And so what we were able to put together is a statement of what I call ought, you know, um, uh, we send powerful signals. The signals aren't necessarily the right ones. The behaviors that, that, that they're inducing are not in line with what we would want them to be. So we ought to be doing a better job. And so now we're trying to move from, from the ought stage to the will stage. In other words, how do we get this to go beyond just a, a collective kind of conscious to here are things that we are going to do to change. And, and that's kind of where we are in what we're thinking about. How do we, how do we do this? Some colleges have already taken the next step and, and, and done some things, changed essays, uh, lists of activities, et cetera, in line with um, our recommendations. But uh, we, um, you know, we, we want to have just more than a, a document that says, yeah, yeah, we're not doing a very good job. We should be doing a better job. But, you know, we really want to make this process, transform this process so right. that it's a, it's a formative process that's, that's beneficial to students from, according to educational standards. Right. And, and so the, the, the thing I think that, you know, you would arguably both agree with that this is this is just this is a first step. This is in no way, you know, a, a declaration of the way things ought to be and that's it that you've got uh you've got some plans going forward for how to put these things into action uh, absolutely i mean we've sort of made a two-year commitment to this so who's your target audience for this report who do you hope most absorbs uh the contents therein well i was you know i mentioned lloyd's answer i think we have the same answer but i was mostly focused on high school students and their parents i, I really wanted to you know, this is an opportunity to send a collective message from a bunch of colleges, many of which are very high profile, um, that uh, about a change in values and to motivate different kinds of behavior. So to get students to be less focused on quantity and more focused on quality and to get students uh, less focused on community service as an achievement and more on community services as an experience as a meaningful experience and to frame for them what those experiences, um, what kind of experiences we thought were going to be meaningful. So it, you know, it's, it is in my mind, encouraging, inspiring, motivating high school students primarily, but also all the people who are the, the influencers and the messengers, the, the school counselors, parents, all the folks that are the independent counselors, all the folks they're interacting with. Right. around these decisions. I mean, I completely agree with, with Rick, and I, this is, I'm motivated for those reasons, too. Um, I, I, I might add that the, the people who, who are responsible for formulating the signals and, and delivering the signals and spending money uh, to, to, to send these signals, the admissions folks and the college presidents, um, they, if you get them in a room together or around a table having cocktails, they all say, you know, none of us are really happy with this with this process, but we feel compelled to do it. And I remember one we had a at a conference that I, Education Conservancy and and uh, Chair Lucido's Enrollment Studies Group, I forget the formal name of it at USC, we put together a, a, a meeting uh, called the Case for Change in College Admissions. 
And there were professionals there, and one professional said, you know, there's little incentive now for, for selective institutions to take risks to reform admissions. You know, the current system does not focus on nurturing learning or character development so much as on winning the competition. So this is an enrollment management person at an institution who's, who admits that the, the process is, is, is screwed up uh, and, and that we need to take responsibility for this. So. So in a sense, you know, what we're doing is, is, is trying to provide an incentive for this, drawing attention to, to what we all sense are the things that are wrong and, and trying to encourage uh, through either shame or, 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 or some, provide some kind of incentive that, you know, we can raise the tide for everybody by, by, by doing several things. And we've identified what some of those things might be. So I'm, I've always been interested in the politics of this. You know, how do we get people to work together um, to change the profession for the benefit of all of us? And that means students and those who are responsible for serving the needs of students. So, so uh, I would say that, yeah, we need to, um, I'm interested in getting colleges to, to, to work together, to see it's in their best interest to work together to do the right thing. Uh, uh, and, and how do we do that? How do, how do we get them to act together um, when they all say they, sh they should be doing a better job? And that's, that's where I've been focusing you know, my interest the past, the past 14 years. You mentioned earlier the U.S. News and World Report ranking. Wouldn't the same goals be achieved simply by leveraging your collective political influence to get all of these folks in the room and, and vow to just uh, jump out of the U.S. News and World Report ranking uh, process? <laughs> you can hear that Rick and I can laugh in harmony. Mm -hmm. What... <laughs> uh, well, do you want to answer this one? <laughs> does it work? Does it work I think like we that? We both need to answer because you know I I did that. I tried this once. Okay. Uh, I don't know if, if if you were around, Devin. Um, uh, well, around, I guess you know, in one definition. Yeah, yeah, but but oh, uh, but but <laughs> interested in this. So, so I was giving a talk at a, at a at a meeting of college presidents, and the talk was entitled uh, "Rank Steering: Driving Under the Influence," right? And uh, and halfway through the talk, a college president stood up and said, why don't you just um, put, to, put together a letter and have us all sign it it's saying that um, we will agree not to cooperate with U.S. News. And at that point in the meeting, it, it changed from not what can we do, but how can we do it. How long and, ago are we talking, by the way? Uh, that was um, 2006 or seven. Okay. So about 10 years ago. Okay. So I put together a letter with the former college president of um, uh, of Earlham, Doug Bennett, um, and it's on our website. And a uh, very succinct letter about what's wrong with the rankings and and will colleges uh, uh, commit to doing two things: one, um, not supplying information to U.S. News and not not filling out the reputational part, the beauty pageant part, which accounts for 25 percent. And not using rank to to uh, promote their college, and and uh, then uh, that uh, we got 60 signatories for that, and I did nothing to proactively promote it. I didn't have the capacity, which I wish I had, and uh, we got 60 college presidents to to do that. Uh, I think it would be a great thing. One of the things I'm we're thinking about is. 
you know, should we reconvene that, repurpose that, re-energize that effort and see if we can get more people? Because all college presidents will say that, you know, it's, it's this rank steering um, that, that's driving this. Um, we're focusing on, on the wrong the wrong kinds of precepts, the wrong kinds of values. So, so we are thinking about, uh, you know, could, could we do this? Other people have said, do you need to have an alternative ranking system? Uh, so it's, a, um, okay, now it's your turn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I think Lloyd, Lloyd has a much long, you know, uh, I have very little history with this. Lloyd has a long and deep history with this. So he really is the right person to answer this question. We have been, talking about um, you know what what are the options here we I mean I got to this issue through Lloyd and Lloyd underlining all, but also just very independently we started these to do these sort of consultation groups with high school counselors and some with parents some with, some with college admissions officers who are students at the ed school here and US News just kept coming up as a really pernicious part of the problem so um, you know, it just got me focused on, you know, how do you lessen the influence of U.S. News? Is it possible to have alternatives to U.S. News? What, what those, what might those look like? Lloyd has written a book called Unranked. Um, can you do something that's unranked, or do you do some other kind of ranking system? Um, so anyway, we're just in a kind of an exploratory stage around this, I think, trying to figure out. Yeah. And, and as, as Lloyd said, having a couple of convenings and figuring out what the right next step is. But I think it, it the, the fact that Rick and I are here talking about this. I mean, I, I'm I'm involved in, in, in kind of the polit political aspects of of college admissions, and Rick comes at it from the idea of you know what are the psychological impacts on kids and kids' development and becoming citizens, and and we're sitting here scratching our heads saying you know there, there, here's a real big elephant in the room. Uh, everybody's identifying it. How how can colleges which are in many ways entrusted to educate kids about what really matters and how do we govern our behaviors with respect to what really matters what can colleges themselves do to demonstrate um to, to act as citizens in in this educational landscape right yeah and and that's a that's a that's a that's a it's a major challenge because an entity external higher ed is telling colleges how they should be evaluated and influencing their behaviors and the way they spend their resources. You follow what I'm saying? I did it. Was that, was yeah. that halfway clear? No, that was clear. And, and it certainly shouldn't be that way. Right. And, and so what, what can colleges do? Uh, and, and whatever they do, they're going to have to do it collectively. Right. Uh, uh, right. so anyway, um, well, this uh, is, I mean, I, and I, it's clear I, that what you guys are, that what you guys are after is, is, is in essence, you know, trying to, I mean, obviously the political willpower it takes to effectively devalue, you know, us news is massive, uh, getting people to take, this feels like the first step towards acknowledging that, you know, there are some very real impacts driven by, let's call it, you know, the existence of U.S. news and all of the component pieces that drive a school to want to compete there. Uh, and that this is a good and that this is, a, a you know, the starting point to getting, you know, towards a collective realization of the fact that there's a problem. And that is a question that I have for you, Rick. How do we know that this stress is real? Um, there was an article that came out recently about the fact that, you know, there's a, the media hype around getting into a selective college 
overtakes any examination in the media of the fact that the majority of American people who experience post-secondary higher education are not going or not accessing college through the selective process. So talk to me a little bit about how we know from a, you know, a data and research standpoint that this stress is out there uh, and, and that that's what's f forming the foundation of this report uh, to, to seek to remedy. I mean, I, you know, there are different kinds of, there are different, it's a great question. There are different kinds of stress. So what we know about affluent communities is that rates of depression, anxiety, delinquency, substance abuse are as high as they are. It looks like as high as they are in low-income communities, despite the many stresses that low-income kids are enduring. Um, and, you know, rates of depression among affluent girls are about two to three times higher than they are in the general population. And, you know, that's a puzzle with many pieces, but the data, and this is Sunaya Luthar's research, not mine, although research we've done certainly corroborates that she has much bigger and better samples, um, points to a excessive achievement pressure being one major factor um, in those high rates. So... That's one issue, but mm -hmm. I think the other issue is, is people are rightly pointing out is it's a small fraction of kids relatively. I mean, it's um, it's affluent kids and and some middle class kids, and not just some. You I know, mean, a lot of kids are getting caught up in this achievement pressure and this focus on selective colleges. Um, but there's another 75 percent of kids and you know the stresses they're dealing with are very different you know they can't afford college they don't have good information about what colleges to go to um there is an expectation that they're going to get to college a lot of kid colleges aren't doing well with persistence with retention so you know there's a whole other set of issues for those kids so i think both things are true i think there's in terms of you know the the high levels of stress in middle and upper class communities about excessive achievement pressure is right. It's also right that there's a tendency to, mo to focus too much on that one population and not on the much larger population of kids. That's a good question. I mean, to what extent, you know, because your report does seek to stretch across the socioeconomic spectrum in terms of offering recommendations to help uh, colleges and help uh, communities really uh, create access for students at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. And it seems, you know, that's one of the criticisms I've heard is that it's very far reaching uh, in its, in its admittedly, almost universally admittedly noble goals. But um, to what extent do we really expect colleges to reform or be responsible for helping reform some of these very, very broad social ills that have, let's say, nothing to do with the college process when it comes to access? Well, I mean, I think it's on what I bristle about a little bit is, <laughs> I think it's, un it's unfair. I mean, we were never saying we were going to solve the college access problem. It's a huge problem. We were saying that selective colleges can do better around college access. And, and that, you know, so there are people who are criticizing the report for not doing certain things and it couldn't possibly do all those things it right. was really you know it was really focused on this group of colleges that are that are selective to one degree or another they're not all elite colleges but in lloyd you, you know lloyd would probably be able to characterize the range better than i could but 
almost all of them are have some degree of selectivity. And, and that really is, you know, that partly happened because of the group that we started with. It, um, it partly happened because we are, are interested in the group that we started with have very powerful signaling functions in the culture. Uh, I think we would like to broaden the conversation, but we're also aware that there are a lot of people working in college access. You know, there are all kinds of issues. You know, 40% of kids are something you're not going to college. Um, right. you know, there, are all, there are big issues here that are, I think, outside our purview. And I, pre- sorry, and I appreciate that when people raise this criticism, I, I appreciate it when they say, you know, let's not forget about the other 80% or 75% of kids. I mean, that seems totally right to me. What recommendations are in this report that you hope will have a positive impact on the enrollment and support of students who are categorized now as underrepresented minority students or black, Latino, Native American students? I think that the, the recommendations around college admissions officers and, and everybody explicitly, you know, in the application itself, but also in general, explicitly encouraging students to report various family responsibilities and obligations, substantial family responsibilities like workness to provide family income or supervising a younger sibling or taking care of sick relatives, um, paying attention to context that people are living in. The, you know, one of the w- ways we're going to try and move forward is around assessment and getting an under- understanding of some of the responsibilities and obstacles that economic low-income kids um, are dealing with that many immigrant kids are dealing with as well. The also, you know, the focus on meaningful learning, I think, is has also been important rather than quantity because of the large number of kids who don't have access to large numbers of extracurricular, extracurricular activities and, and may not have access to AP courses at all. So the extent to which, you know, I, I think it was we were serving these twin related goals by de-emphasizing quantity. We were trying to reduce stress on affluent kids, but we were simultaneously trying to create meaningful um, measures for low-income kids who just don't have access to a lot of APs, et cetera. And that appeared to be sort of uh, too difficult for some people to swallow, the fact that on the one hand, you, you know, that you want to create opportunities for access by recognizing the fact that certain communities simply don't have access to uh, a a substantial quantity of college preparation, college preparatory coursework. But on the other hand, you know, some of the criticism is saying, you know, that by, by recommending a limitation on the number of APs that college admissions offices suggest a student take is in fact, you know, is reducing the, level of academic standards that they should expect their students to achieve. And I think it was one of the, I think it was one of the criticisms, in fact, that, that Bill Fitzsimmons said, you know, that we don't want to limit the opportunity for students to, you know, engage in robust college prep coursework through AP, since that's an important factor for us to consider in wondering if they can do the work or projecting whether they can do the work when they get to college. There are a few colleges well, well, two things. I mean, Bill, all the endorsers wanted to elevate quality over quantity. In other words, much better to take three AP courses and demonstrate 
meaningful intellectual engagement than to take eight AP courses and and come across as somebody who is uh, piling on achievements robotically and and doesn't seem to be passionate or very interesting or to really be in any deep way grappling with content. Um, I think everybody agreed about that. Um, I think where it gets complicated is that there are some schools, particularly these very elite schools, very selective schools, and again, Lloyd may be able to weigh in on this, who have so many applicants that they can accept applicants who have taken AAP courses and are intellectually engaged. So I think, you know, part of what Bill's saying is, is that we know that there are some kids who can take AAP courses during the course of high school or 10 and be very intellectually engaged and lead um, well-balanced lives. We're not going to, we're sure we're not going to disadvantage those kids. Um, And some of those kids are very impressive. Mm -hmm. I think Rick's done a a great job of, uh, of explaining this. And, you know, he, he's, he's been, I'm going to give you a compliment here, Rick. Just one. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, you know, Rick, Rick is relatively new to college admissions. And, and, and I think he's, he's gotten fascinated by, by, you know, how much needs to be done and how out of line it is with, with educational values, but he's also learned a heck of a lot. And, uh, and so it's nice to hear him, respond to questions i'm just sitting here enjoying this and ta- oh it should be taking notes right but i i, I, would, being, I would add it's being recorded that. lloyd so what it's being rec- this is being recorded so i'm the grasshopper lloyd is the sensei you can put that on the- oh gosh yeah but you're gonna jump right over me that's good <laughs> uh, no, no I, th- I think i think you know what's, what's really emerging here and i'm looking at you know, new language, new visions that are emerging from people getting together who are really concerned about this. And that's, for me, the magic. This idea of meaningful engagement, you know, what is it that we value and what are we measuring, right? I mean, this, but the idea of meaningful engagement, we're sending signals to kids about, you know, what they should be involved with. And college admissions was not designed to send signals about what's important. And it was designed to you know, match kids with institutions so that they could learn and get engaged, et cetera. But it's, it's, it's moved beyond, you know, um, allocating opportunity. It's, it's, it's now allocating values. And, and there's, it's done it, doing that without being thoughtful about it. So this is an experiment, I think, in stepping back and saying, oh, what's really happening and what should we be doing? And this idea of we really want to assess people's meaning, meaningful engagement or, or look at people who are meaningfully engaged. And, and by doing that, you can, you can, you can reduce stress, hopefully, uh, among uh, uh, the, the, the privileged and also recognize um, uh, attributes of underserved kids that, that aren't recognized through standardized tests, lots of activities, uh, APs, right? So if I had, uh, if, as, as an admissions person, I mean, I've interviewed kids, and you can tell when they're meaningfully engaged, right? And whether they're upper-class kids or lower-class kids. So I think this idea of meaningful engagement. So how do you get, how do you, how do you say we want kids to take advantage of as many of their learning opportunities as they can? That's how we're going to assess you. What did you do with what you had available to you? Context, which right. is what Rick mentioned. And the question that right? I have, and, and, and that's an important thing. So how do we say you know, we need to take fewer APs um, 
uh, and when kids, when we want kids, underserved kids to take as many as, as, they, as they can, you know, but it's the as you can thing. So we have to send, say to, to the kids that are stressing themselves out and doing this just as, as an accomplishment rather than a, than a meaningful experience. How do we say, you know, limit, do we say limit to your APs or do we say take APs because you really like them or do we, you know, it, it's a tough it's a tough thing. Well, you know? and it's a tough thing to um, hold. Some... You know, this is the, one of the. You know, it's it's you're 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 asking a lot of entities here to do the right thing, when in fact the, the right. you know the 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 process has has not necessarily specifically because the process has not particularly engendered folks to do it or, or motivated these entities to do the right thing, but rather to do the thing you need to do to get it into college, right? Absolutely, and, and 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 you know there 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 are there are schools, high schools that have classes that are a lot better than AP exams in terms of in terms of educationally you know challenging kids and helping them learn and develop skills, and and yet those courses you see so so an AP isn't an AP isn't an AP in, sure. in context. So well, and I think the so you know, we're looking at. The question that, that that continues to come up is how do you actually get them to do the right thing? You know, there's this leading the horse to water kind of conundrum from my perspective that, you know, when it comes to meaningful engagement, you know, I think any any parent will tell you, you know, you can't really force, you know, understanding or gratitude or appreciation on a student, you know, for the for the engage the type of engagement yeah. that they're having, such that they recognize it's meaningful, um, you know. And so that's I think what a lot of people are asking is, you know, and and what something that maybe we'll talk about later is, you know, how do you actually get this to happen as opposed to suggest that it should? Well, how do yeah how do, how do we go from ought to well? <laughs> right, as you said earlier, sure. Well, the first thing you got to talk about. You've got to recognize that we have a problem. We all realize it, and we're all part of it, right? And uh, and then we got to get more people on board, and then we've got to get some people, it seems to me, to take some risks. And then we have to kind of lend prestige, if you will, to a new way of doing things. And then we've got to get trustees to, to, to do more than uh, use more than U.S. News and World Report to evaluate the success of their precedents, on and on and on and on. And we've got to get admissions folks to realize that they're not salespeople, but they're educators. Uh, I, mean, I could go, I could go mm -hmm. on and on, but how, how do you, how do you, how do you get that to happen? And I think um, you often need to take several runs at it. You know, we've had it, it, the education conservancy has done small iterations of, 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 of uh, kind of movements or attempts. And now we have a higher profile, um, bigger partners engaged, more thoughtful people. You know, I think we're getting we're getting some traction already. So here's a question I've had often, or, or uh, you know, this is even something that I've I've controversially presented to groups of families and kids is that uh, I guess it, does everybody have to do community service? What if a kid just hates doing it? What if a kid doesn't want to engage his community in a in, in a meaningful way? What if he just wants to do you know, things that perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't qualify. I mean, is that, is that okay? Or are we, are we really, according to the sort of heart and soul of the report, are we, are we making a broad recommendation that all students must engage in their community in a meaningful way if they're to be counted, quote unquote, as well-developed members of society? Just to clarify something in the report, which is this, because it's been, 
misunderstood is you know, actually the definition of community engagement, community service is very broad in the report. That's and right. This had to do with conversations that you know we had with a few of our endorsers who felt like there are kids who are athletes, for example, who are or three sport athletes who don't have time to do substantial community service and or involved in the arts or whatever. But, you know, the compromise in a sense was that they could, they could talk. That's okay. If they can talk about the way in which their athletic participation or their team participation um, expanded their sense of the common good or expanded their sense of responsibility for community. Um, but so I'm not speaking here for our endorsers collectively, I, but I am, I do think that every, it'd be a good world if every kid had a year of service, a year of national service of some kind. For instance, what kind of a national service it would, like what are, well, what are not, some that come I, to mind? I don't know a lot about, you know, there's been all kinds of national service proposals. AmeriCorps and, and things like that. Yeah, I don't really know them, but right. I mean, I don't know about the whole range of them. But my point is that, you know, there was a time in our history where our major institutions, public schools were founded to develop ethical character, independent schools, most of them were founded to develop ethical character. Colleges up until the last 40 years had very much at the core of their mission ethical character, including Harvard. Um, religious participation has dropped. I mean, we are at a low point in terms of our expectations of kids around ethical character and service. Uh, and I think we have to re in state, um, certain norms and traditions around this. So I do think every kid should have, you know, it doesn't have to be a year, eight, eight to 12 months of some experience of community engagement or service pretty broadly defined. Um, that, you know, everything from re religious service, I mean, religious participation to military service to working on a political campaign of some kind. You know, some experience where you're involved in the common good, involved in your community, in a in some improve some project that improves the world collectively. And you know, we talked about this around sex ed. It could be it, it could be abstinence promotion. It could also be promotion of contraception. I mean, it, we don't, there's not a particular political agenda here, but there is an investment in the common good. You mentioned, you know, the fact that you're not speaking for for the endorsers per se when you talk when you talk about that. I want to talk about the endorsers a little bit. Um, yeah, the endorsers didn't did not collectively say it's, we all we're all for national service or your national. Service. Sure, yeah. sure, but but yeah. they they signed on to the to the idea that you know yeah. more yeah. valuable civic engagement or yeah. or you know is is something of of value to them. And also sustained community engagement. You know, so a, a year of something, broadly so, defined. So, can any school yeah. be a, a signatory, an endorser? Yeah, any. Four, I mean, Lloyd, any four, any four-year accredited colleges so far. I mean, in, in in the United States, we have not. We've had requests internationally. We've also, you know, high schools have also endorsed too. Sure. Yeah. So, associations. So talk yeah, and to, association. So talk to me about the kinds of things that endorsers have shared with you that they'd like to do in response to this report. What are the kinds of real changes that colleges in particular uh, and high schools, if you like, will be making or, or have suggested they'd like to make in response? Well, one, you know, one place where I feel like we have made headway already is around um, ethical and the ethical engagement work and by that i mean we have had a number of colleges that are adding essay questions 
that are around ethical engagement. So we we know that 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 the coalition is folks are considering turning the tide as as something that that they're going to use to guide the the, the way they put their application together. Uh, and not only in its first iteration, but ongoingly. And that's, that's, those are actively being talked about. We have had a handful of colleges that have told us that they're going to do a new essay question. Harvard is going to do a new, new essay question. I'm not exactly clear what that question is going to be. I think that's one place where we will make progress is around questions of ethical engagement. I've also had a number of conversations with folks who are interested, you know, do not feel like they're doing a good job assessing ethical character in their, the application process and have a lot of interest in our, um, you know, another idea we have, which is to, to try and develop new tools for assessing both resilience and ethical engagement. And by resilience, I mean picking up those kids that are taking on responsibilities or dealing with adversity in impressive ways. Well, so let me ask you this, you know, because a, a bunch of the things that I've that I've I've seen on my own and that I know that and that you mentioned is that, you know, the essay prompts are, are a thing that, you know, it's one of the great things that that happens in selective college admissions is we have a lot of agility, you know, in responding in, in, in crafting our process. I mean, we could we could change it every year, more or less, you know, completely if we if we sort of wanted to. Yeah. But let me ask you if because when you think about essay prompts and then you take and then you think about you know really shifting social phenomena like you know teenage stress over college admissions there's a lot of stuff that's got to happen in between right um to i mean that that seems like that's just a starting point right the the you know changing oh, an, yeah, changing totally, an essay prompt totally. obviously that's not the answer to to what's going on but what are some of the other things that is there is there something else that that, that schools have thought yeah, about yeah no i didn't i didn't mean to i didn't mean to stop there i was just i know trying, i just wanted to goad you towards yeah yeah the, no it's a great question <laughs> i was just saying that that's that's been a fairly easy one it's not the most important one it's just um it's i mean I just think it's been easier for colleges to do and to think about. Um, yeah. I think in terms of this, the stress one, the, the kinds of things that, um, and this is just an exploratory idea, but I had, uh, I shouldn't say which, what district it was, but I had some board members, school board members. Um, I haven't even had a chance to talk to Lloyd about this. It happened Friday afternoon. Breaking news. Um, Breaking news comes comes to me Friday. It's, it's just, it's just that it was interesting because they independently came up with an idea that that we had been talking about. We have been talking about in terms of the stress issue, whether it it might work for for schools to have like a, a some kind of healthy college admissions compact that all parents signed on to and the school signed on to, and it might include things like our kids aren't going to take more than five AP courses during the course of high school. And what was interesting about this is that this is what the school board wanted to try out on me. They were thinking that they were saying in their district and in a couple of other districts, and we've heard about this too, some people are taking the report and saying, we need to take charge of this as a parent community. And whether or not colleges are going to favor kids who take 10 AP courses, we've got to say that this is unhealthy and our kids aren't going to be able to do it. And similarly on extracurricular activities. So this was just, this was just encouraging that this, you know, that this 
district was acting independently on this. But in terms of stress, I think that's the kind of thing that will be meaningful. I think the other thing, which, you know, Frank Bernie has wrote about, I'm sure Lloyd has wrote about it, I've written about it, around stress, the other thing that, like, I'm, I'm obsessed about is getting parents focused on a far wider range of, wider array of colleges. <laughs> and if they just continue to be focused on the same 10 or 20 colleges, there's no way to really reduce stress for those kids. Right. And, and I, you know, I don't, we don't have the answer to that. I think there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of different strategies one can think about that would help. Yeah, I like the, uh, and I haven't told Rick that I've been in contact with a group of schools in the Palo Alto area that want me to come down and, and talk with them about, you know, how they might change their culture, the kinds of things that they might do. And what's, what's, what's encouraging about, you know, what happened to Rick on Friday and what happened to me on Thursday and Friday was that people are taking seriously this document um, uh, and saying, you know, we do have a problem and here. These colleges at this level recognize there's a problem. How can we use this document to inform, to inspire and inform some local action here in our community? And to me, that's how things are going to take place. I mean, you know, you have to have this, you know, um, germinal kind of impact. <laughs> these seeds go out there and then they grow in separate communities. And and so it's nice to hear what other people's ideas are and how, how they're inspired by, by this work. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's really important. You know, there are, there are schools where you spend a whole year prepping for the SAT or half a year prepping for the PSAT. Um, and, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong about that. And, 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 uh, and there are schools that are, evaluated based on their um, SAT scores, right? So there, there are lots of things that we could help schools point to uh, as, as strategies that, that would serve, you know, what we've, what we've outlined in, in, the, uh, in turning the tide. Well, let me ask you, the, uh, you mentioned earlier that there was the potential, and this report does actually, I believe, say in one of the little watermarks here that, uh, you know, it's endorsed by the, the coalition, uh, for access, affordability and success. Um, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In addition, so it's yeah, here, it in was, addition, um, turning the tide is supported by the board of directors of the coalition for access, affordability and success. Well, yeah, they, they support it. That's not, that, that's not an endorsement by that group, right? They, 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 the board said, we support this. Okay. So people understand, people who've been paying yeah. attention to the, you know, the news around this stuff understand the, co the coalition to be a group of schools who have come together to formulate their own application process. Application system. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and, there's, there's, and there's a lot more to it, obviously, but it seems that they're, they're trying to have this sort of line up to the, the, the things that you're suggesting in the report. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of different actors in here, and we know that, that different schools are, are, are under the influence of different boards and different presidents, and trying to get 80 colleges um, to change their application in line with better serving uh, students' values or student uh, students' interests, as defined as as outlined in 
you know, this, this report is, is a tough thing, but it looks like we're having progress. The coalition application system, uh, in my, as, as I understand it, will better reflect the ideas and values that are talked about in Turning the Tide than does the current version of the Common App. To what extent did you reach out to folks at the Common App to see if they were willing to make any changes uh, to support uh, the, the recommendations well, of Turning the Tide? Let me, I, 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 I need to do more. I haven't been, I'm not encouraged so far, but I'm, but I'm not discouraged <laughs> okay. uh, uh, by, by forays that I've made, but that's, I really, I, I, I want to do more there. But, um, but I think, I think if you, 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 you said, how are you going to measure success? You almost asked that question. I think right? so. I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 I mean, it's something that I think about, you know, I'm, I'm 62 years old. I've been at this a long time. I look back, I say, you know, if I had any more value than making wonderful friends, <laughs> you know, if I had any more value, or has anything been more valuable to me than you? No, and then I think the answer is yes. But what might I look at? Um, I, I mean, I'd like this this uh, um, the the new application system being developed to uh, to have some of the 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 the, the um, characteristics, uh, functionalities, reflecting the values that, that are talked about, recommendations that are talked about in turning the tide. And I think the, the first version may have, will have some of them. The second and third versions, uh, I'm pretty confident we'll have more of those characteristics. Uh, and some of this is, is just extrapolation based on my own values of where this turning the tide would lead if it built the, the exemplary, you know, exemplary college admission system so I, I but but i think that the coalition folks are listening to this they're paying attention to this they say they're they want to be guided by it but you've got 80 100 people you know saying that together so it's, it's a tedious process but but i'm confident that they're listening and that the, the tech folks are, are are trying to incorporate things as they go along given within the confines of timing restrictions. So there are going to be several rollout, I mean, several versions of this. So it's, you, you, you can't, you, you're not going to be able to evaluate it definitively based on the version that comes out, you know, by summertime. Um, but there will be some, some changes and it will look better than I think the Common App. Um, we'll see. The Common App, if we could get, so if we could get this app to reflect it, that would be a sign of success. If we can get the Common App, um, I mean, I'll tell you now, I looked at their essay questions for next year. Not one of the essay questions has to do with um, having a kid talk about their contribution to community or what they care about in the community. It's all about, you know, kind of me, me, me. And those questions could do a much better job of reflecting some of the uh, concerns and recommendations in turning the tide Uh, uh, and, and other things that you know, I would I would want to talk with the common app people about. So this report is something that came out, you know, right now and it, right now and this point in sort of your collective history with this world and these problems. What is it that that has you guys both most sort of uh, optimistic that these changes might actually take place? I'm a newbie compared to Lloyd, so Lloyd should answer. <laughs> well, but I'd say, Rick, that you know you've not been working on that. You've not been working on the issue of of college admissions reform, but you have been, you know, sociologically, anthropologically, 
engaged in the notion of of making our society, you know, more sort of collectively aware of itself in a positive way. Uh, you know, so that you've, you've in your own yeah. way. I mean, obviously, well, the contributions well, you've made have been those that you've built on for 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 decades, right? Yeah. So, I, and I appreciate you you're raising this question. I, I mean, I. Is it, and I do have a you know a, a different perspective than Lloyd as maybe as a, as a newbie, but I you know I, I I did not know how this report was going to break. I mean I thought it could break a number of different ways, um, and sort of a number of endorsers. I think Lloyd did as well, and I was struck by the positive response, um, and. Partly the positive response, but partly even in the criticism, the degree to which people are just fed up with this college admission system, which they think is getting unhealthier and crazier all the time. So I haven't, you know, I haven't come across anybody who's defended it. Um, as Lloyd said, I think every, nobody likes it. Um, and that's part of what's made me hopeful is I think there is a lot of energy for change. Um, I think there's uh, more energy for change around certain things than others. I do think the levels of stress are freaking a lot of people out, and there's a lot of energy around that. Um, and I don't know how much uh, – you know, I think there's energy around the ethical engagement stuff, but, but that remains to be seen. You know, there are a lot of organizations out there working, doing great work around college access. I don't know the degree to which um, some of these selected colleges are really going to commit to it and commit financial resources to it. And Lloyd may have a better sense of that, but um, that, you know, that may be a hard one in, in many places in places like Harvard and Stanford can afford to do it because they have so much money, but it's much, you know, it's just much hard, much more challenging for a lot of other places. Any comment there, Lloyd? I think what you want, you're trying to ask me is, you know, how do I remain, how hopeful am I and how do I remain hopeful? Yeah, there's that. And then like also, that. and then also maybe like what, because you have been, and you know, I know because you and I've spoken a lot about this, you know, that you've kind of, you've hit some walls over the course of your years working on this, you know, is there, yeah. is there something about, about this and right now in this sort of moment that has you, you know, more perhaps uniquely uh, optimistic than, you know, given your, your, your history uh, and uh, maybe let's just say defeats with uh, uh, attempting to generate these reforms in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think having Rick involved, the fact that it's coming out of that, 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 you know, it has the, the, the stature of, of being affiliated with the Making Care in Common program at Harvard Graduate School of Education and, 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 and Rick's background it, it has inspired me uh, partnering and my, my work has been pretty much solo. Uh, I have a lot of uh, deputies out there and a lot of friends, many friends who really care about this, but this is an active ongoing partnership. Uh, so I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by the number of uh, endorsers and the response, the public response to this. Uh, I mean, we have invitations to speak right in Australia and Greece and Barcelona. So uh, people are paying attention. It, it has that kind of visibility and people are beginning to do things. And we're talking about people can have an impact like um, uh, the University of Washington developing a new scholarship program to really target 
kids who really do make a contribution to their community. We're talking about people at Stu Schmell at MIT, who's changed one of his essay questions to talk about how involvement in community or caring for others is part of their mission statement. How do you as a stu student applying to the school demonstrate that that's going to have a big impact on a, on a sizable number of kids and people are going to be taking attention to that. Yale's thinking about changing that. And I think the essay questions do matter. At a they certain do matter. Level. There are there are more and more colleges that are looking at this and saying, you know, this this really allows us to go SAT optional because we say that, you know, you need you need colleges should be looking verifying through data the importance that they give to their SAT in the college admissions process and then talk about that. Right. So that's that's honesty and integrity in college admissions. And I think there's a market for that. So um, I. Um, I'm encouraged, and, and if we can revisit this rankings thing, I do think we made we, we ran a short race, and we won the short race. But I think there's a longer race to be to be, to be run here, and we might be able to to work at it that way. Uh, right. So I, I, you know, some of the old targets, uh, I'm 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 encouraged that that we might um, approach them and pass them. But there are also some new targets and right. having this partnership and, and the level of engagement so far in response to the partnership, uh, is, is encouraging to me. So on that, that make any sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, man. And so on the, on the m m issue of, you know, having this, how many, in, do you have it ballpark? How many endorsers do you have right now? We have, um, I think about 120. Yeah. We had about 65 wow. or 70 when we released the report. Yeah. But and growing, right? We keep getting new into Yeah. So who's... Yeah, I think, I think a, real, a real challenge, um, um, and I think I can be honest about this, is how do we, uh, how do we uh, develop the kind of capacity that, you know, if we were a, a, a business, and this was a, a private sector kind of opportunity, right? Um, we could get... Uh, VCs to invest in us, right? I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but 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 uh, I think you know what Rick and I are thinking is strategically how, how do we? What are our next moves? How do we? How do we deal with this potential um, market of conscience, if you want to call it that? But but I, I think college admissions folks and college presidents really do want to do a better job. They really do, and if and and if they if they had a platform or an arena in which they could feel more comfortable um, sharing the risk, they would do it. And, and that's, that's just how I see it. I, th I think that with Lloyd, the phrase just, Lloyd just used is, a, is very helpful um, around comfort around shared risk. I think that's true for parents too, that if they felt yeah. a certain level of comfort about, you know, not getting SAT tutors for their kids or, you know, um, and it wouldn't make them feel like they're, they were cheating their own kids. Uh, if we can, you know, not insisting their kids take ADP courses, if we can mitigate the sense of risk for parents too. It's going to really help. Hmm. Whose responsibility is it, or is there a sort of a responsibility beyond the group of endorsers to see that those who have signed on to endorse these concepts do in fact make changes that reflect their endorsement? So, this is a complicated. This is a complicated one. So I guess I would say a few things. One is that we are actively, Lloyd and I, um, 
emailing our endorsers, advocating for changes, and we're advocating for them to make changes, but we're also advocating for them to advocate with the Common App folks and the the Coalition App folks. That we all, you know, we just want to see changes in, in these major application systems. One place in which it's complicated is that a lot of our endorsers feel like they're doing these things already. In those cases, you know, we have to introduce to them ways in which they can go farther or create a dynamic where they're all pushing each other to go farther. You know, that when Stu, you know, when Stu or, you know, Phil Ballinger is a better example, when he starts doing this recruiting and, and, you know, we're hoping to see a bunch of experiments out there like Phil's and evaluate them. And other colleges start seeing, you know, hey, this, these other colleges are getting ahead of us in this respect or doing something exciting. You know, we hope this will be contagious to some degree. But the other answer to your question is, you know, part of our work going forward is with the college admissions officer, offices for sure. Um, and, but it's also, you know, with high school's parents, that's a big part of the next phase. You know, I think there is a limit to what these college admissions officers will do. So I guess the final thing I would say about this is in, in some ways the intention from the beginning, and, and I want to be careful about how I say this, it is, was absolutely for college admissions officers to make changes, but it was also for them very explicitly to make a statement collectively about what's important. Because a lot of them felt, I think, rightfully on, on many of these messages that, were, that they've been sending it alone and it's not, it's not getting absorbed. And I think they rightfully assessed that if they sent it collectively, it had a much greater chance of getting absorbed. You know, there's one idea we haven't really talked about that we're sort of floating out there um, that I'm happy to discuss, which is, uh, or to have floated, unless Lloyd sees some problem with it. But we are, you know, we are thinking about encouraging colleges to recommend a gap year um, and, a and a bridge year for low-income kids. There are a lot of challenges in that, particularly because it could disadvantage low-income kids. But that's another way we're thinking about moving forward. And you know, we just want to—we don't—we don't want to. It's just an, ex an exploratory phase. We don't want to go forward with it if it's going to have these um, negative consequences. I think the other thing I would just say quickly is that there, there are consistent ways in which the report gets misunderstood that have been frustrating. One of them is around the gaming issue and the people who say, well, everyone's just going to game this. We address that very explicitly in the report. And we say, we know some people are going to game this, but um, our hope is that it's going to motivate them to do things that are actually better for them than the things that they're gaming now. Got and it. the final thing is that the final thing is, and Lloyd, I think hinted at this um, is, and it's related Devin, to the point that you've been making, is that we are, and I think some of our endorsers will help us with this, we are trying to get colleges to at least align their practices with the rhetoric of the report. I mean, whether or not they go farther than the report or really, um, or really go out on a limb on some of these things, we do think it's important for them not to um, undermine the report recommendations. So you can't say... You don't need to take more than a few AP courses a year and then send in your materials, have statements like take the most rigorous courses available to you. So, you know, one of the things we really would like to uh, work with our endorsers on is walking the talk. Right. 
around those kind of things and avoiding, you know, just flat out inconsistencies. Thanks for taking the time to, to talk about this thing. You know, there's just so much to unpack here. We, you know, barely even sort of scraped the majority I, of it, but, uh, you know, we did a good job. I, I hope, I think, uh, did some service to the work that you guys have been doing here. Well, I think you did a great job. I mean it. So thank you. Take care. Thank you, Rick. Thanks a lot, Lloyd, for talking to me. I appreciate it. And thanks for connecting me with Rick. I mean, for us, it's, it's nice, um, I think, for me to hear Rick speak um, and to have, I mean, it was an educational thing for both of us, I think. So awesome. it, had some, it had some selfish value here. I was at a conference recently where some admissions deans took umbrage with the suggestion that they'd be dedicated to anything other than the best for the students of this country and the world who are applying to their schools. That if you ask anyone, including and perhaps especially those at the schools with big fancy names, they'll tell you that, for instance, taking the greatest number of AP courses possible is no key to their front door. And that they've been saying that. Even while the arms race to load up on APs has brought us to the brink. So there's some incongruence there, I think. The counterpoint to that argument that was shared at the conference was that whatever we're doing, whatever we're saying, it's just not working. It's not filtering into the high schools and the homes of the families who are applying to selective colleges because they still think they need to do all this stuff in an effort to get in. I've got one regret uh, with this interview. I'm a little pissed I didn't ask them why they were laughing so hard when I asked if all this didn't just boil down to stepping out of the U.S. news game. That would have been a good follow-up question. Everybody says that, you know? Um, But I think it's not that hard to read between the lines. These are a few war-weary folks who recognize how tightly wrapped this thing is around the uh, U.S. news phenomenon and what a relatively impregnable fortress it must seem to conquer. But hey, this report is another chink in that armor, I think. And I hope that to my question about who holds the signatories accountable for doing any of this stuff, I think the answer is you. You parents and students who are out there looking at schools and guidance counselors who are trying to figure out how kids get admitted to certain schools that you keep a list of these schools, you know, rolled up in your back pocket. And when you visit their campuses, ask them what it is that they're doing to adhere to this report as signatories. Change comes from all sides and we all got to play our part. Okay, that's it. Julie Lithcott Hames coming next time. She was awesome to talk to. I hope folks are uh, enjoying their summer. It feels like the core of a nuclear reactor here in New York City. So I hope y'all are are staying cool someplace. Uh, Personally, I recorded this whole thing in front of my open refrigerator. Electricity bill be damned. Uh, Clearly the heat has gotten to me. Uh, All right, I'm done. See you guys next time.